0: hi and welcome to strengthening the soul of your leadership podcast my name is ruth haley barton and i'm founder of the transforming center and i'm here with steve weans senior pastor of genesis covenant church in st louis park minnesota steve is also a transforming community alumni which means we've spent a lot of time laughing growing and being transformed in the presence of christ in community with other leaders
1: well welcome again to another episode of season two of Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership with Ruth Haley Barton. Isn't she fabulous?
0: Oh, Steve, you're the one who's fabulous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Life Together in Christ, Cultivating Communities for Spiritual Transformation. So um, the title of this episode is Discerning the Presence of Christ, and we're talking about In Community. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, catch us up to speed on where we are in the story Mm -hmm. with these two beautiful travelers on the road to Amiens.
0: All right. So they've experienced the most traumatic weekend of their lives. They're now returning home. They're on the road between the now and the not yet. Um, They are talking about all these things that have happened very honestly and humanly. Jesus himself draws near, drawn in by this conversation, and they receive him as the stranger. They welcome him as a stranger. Jesus gives them the opportunity to talk about what's happened from their perspective and not only the facts of it, but also how it's affected them internally and how it's affected their emotions and their spiritual hopes and dreams. And Jesus, after listening well and being present with them in their sadness, he actually offers them a perspective that has to do with the nature of the spiritual life and spiritual journey. He then locates them in the larger story of what God's doing and gives them a meaning, a sense of meaning about what they've been through that's bigger than just what they have experienced that felt so personal. And so then um, this conversation has been so heartwarming to them, and it's been so different than any other conversation that they typically get to have, so compelling that they don't want it to end. And so I think it's fun at this point in the story to remember a, a conversation that maybe you've had where the conversation was so interesting or intriguing or insightful or comfortable or fun or energized and you're just like, oh, I wish we could go on forever. So maybe it's an evening with friends or maybe it's a one-on-one conversation and you just don't want it to end it's the very same thing that the disciples felt when it came time for them to get off at the exit, you know. They were going to get off at the exit at Emmaus, which is where their home was, and Jesus pretended that he was going on. See, it's so funny Jesus <laughs> plays dumb again, like he, you know, he pretends he's going on even though he probably has nowhere else to go except to right. be with them. So they are so excited about their conversation that they urge him strongly to stay is what the scriptures tell us. And so Jesus does that. He goes in and he uh, is with them in their home and they share a meal together. A very ordinary activity of just having a meal together. And it's in that moment that they recognize that it's been Jesus all the way along. And there's that phrase that we all love, we're not our hearts burning within us while he uh, talked to us on the road. And so really, this chapter and this whole segment of the story has to do with discernment. It has to do with being able to discern the presence of Christ among us as we gather. Very exciting, because that's when spiritual, that's when transforming community really becomes transforming, is when we recognize that it's Jesus and his presence is what changes us.
1: Okay, so Ruth, it's interesting to notice that the whole rest of the story wouldn't have happened if Jesus had not stayed. So talk more about the power of staying.
0: Well, in this verse, verse 29, uh, the the Luke 24 passage, verse 29, the the word stay is used twice. Mm. So they urge him strongly to stay, and then he decides to stay. And so I feel like we're in a moment that's very similar to the first moment in the story, which is that if they hadn't welcomed Jesus, that part of the story wouldn't happened in this case if they hadn't chosen to stay. If they ch- hadn't asked him and extended hospitality, if Jesus hadn't decided to stay, then this moment of recognition when they realize that it's Jesus who's been with them all along, it absolutely would not have happened. And yeah. so for me, as it relates to transforming community, it brings to my mind this whole issue of stability, which protestants aren't good at you know in the catholic tradition you're in the parish that's your neighborhood you know your neighborhood is a parish and there's one church and that's the one you go to and you stay there until you die or move right but with protestants we are much more in this consumeristic society where we just look at all the churches in the area and try to pick the one that we like the best and if we get to the point where we don't like the one we're in we go to another one down the block or across town and There's no no sense of how important stability is Mm. in the Protestant evangelical movement right now, I think. And so I'm really drawn to consider in this part of the story, the power of staying and the fact that it was the staying that opened up the possibility for the deeper encounter. Um, for the uh, recognition and awareness that Jesus was actually with them. And and in that moment, of course, they were transformed from the dejected, confused, despairing disciples that they had been. Immediately, once they realized they had seen Jesus, they were transformed to being disciples now who had a message. They had a message of good news. And in fact, after this moment, which we'll go more into the moment of discernment later, but From that moment on, you know, after they experienced Jesus transforming presence in that way, they were up on their feet, ready to go back and talk about what they had experienced. And so they would have missed the whole thing if they hadn't stayed. So it makes me wonder, what are we missing? What do we miss when we don't stay in the communities that we've aligned ourselves with or decided to to join or engage? What are we missing when we don't stay and instead we choose to leave? And also, what are we missing in the way that we leave? When we don't, we don't pay attention to the presence of Christ among us, we don't ask one another to join us in the discernment process. We just leave without telling anybody because we feel like it's our prerogative, it's our right to do, which, by the way, is very Western. Right. It's a very Western thing for us to be so individualistic that we think we can just do whatever's good for us and leave everybody else behind. So yes. there's lots there for there, the discussion about
1: community. There is. So let's dive in so because certainly there there are times to leave i mean there there, you know it's 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 not what i don't hear Mm -hmm. you saying is make a rule that you always will Mm -hmm. stay because if you don't stay then you're gonna miss everything i don't i don't hear you saying that i hear you saying um that there are things that will open up when you Mm -hmm. have the discipline of staying Mm -hmm. when when that is indeed the right thing to do and i hear you saying there's there's there's, a, there's an opportunity to try to answer that question, should I stay, or should I go mm, now, yeah. with yeah. others.
0: Mm-hmm. As opposed to just making it a very individualized yeah. thing. I think that there's a level of transformation that's that's possible for us to consider as Protestants. What would it take to stay? But not just to stay out of obligation or because we lack courage or whatever, but to stay with intentionality, to continue to seek the presence of Christ and if we feel Christ leading us in a different direction, opening that up in, a tr-
1: in the trusted community as well. Okay, so Ruth, um, you know, it's funny because we were just having this conversation over lunch with with Jeff, hey Jeff. Hey there. Hey Jeff. <laughs> and we were talking about this uh, really, really invested person in this church, uh, this couple that just decided to leave and then just kind of let people know, and then they were gone, yeah. I, and, and how, whoa, um, how maybe hurtful that is yeah. unintentionally. Right. So can, can we dive into that? Like talk yeah. about talk about how to do that better.
0: Right. Um, well, I think that it points to two things. One is the fact that we're so individualistic in our society that we think, well, this is my job change. This is my retirement. I can do whatever I want. So there's a quite an, a strong sense of individualism about these decisions that we make where we lay it on people rather than inviting anyone to discern with us. What I think could be could have been done better in a case like that is at least to bring people along, to at least at the very beginning of the process, bring those who are close to you, those that you've worked with, those with whom you have served in the church and in the community and say, hey, we're thinking about this, wanna invite you to pray, pray along with us on this. I mean, because then it feels really different when the decision comes because people feel like they were involved and that they were engaged in community with that person as they made the decisions they were making. That's a very different thing than just having the decision announced and and then it's over and you didn't have a chance to say anything within it. Um, So that's one thing I think could be done better is to engage your community in the discernment rather than just announcing the answer that you've come to by yourself at the end of the process that's one thing the other thing i would encourage us to think about though too is um how will it impact the community that we're leaving is there any way in which god might be wanting us to at least consider whether or not this community in my life with this community warrants trying to find a way to stay given the the idea of stability so um I know retirement's one thing because, you know, many people move out, move away during retirement. and Sometimes you move away to such an extent that you really can't participate in the church. But sometimes when opportunities come, you could actually think about your community and think about how committed you've been and what that community means to you and actually let your life in that community and your commitment to that community be at least one aspect of what informs your community. So at least there is some sense of, of desiring stability. Um, so a level of commitment that speaks to stability and the gifts that come when we stay, but at the same time involving and engaging your community as you discern. And I think that, that makes the relationships themselves feel more stable, I think. If you know that someone who's, who's really important and key in the mix is not going to walk into a decision without engaging you, that makes the relationships feel a lot more stable. Yeah. than if there's a chance that at any moment somebody could come marching in here and tell us they're out. Well, that, that means that, that at, all, at all times, there's a feeling of wobbliness. Like, I don't know, I don't know when things are going to change here. just doesn't feel stable. I think there's more than one way to look at stability, but I think we as Protestants in particular really do need to look at this question of stability.
1: I agree. And as you're talking, it I, I was thinking, um, I wasn't listening very well because I was thinking, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I was thinking, what are the stable environments mm-hmm. in our world right now? Right. Like, like what, what, what can we count on? Um, and if not like the church, Mm -hmm. um, boy, there just aren't that many. I mean, even families, I mean, for, for a lot of us, we can't look back on our families and say, well, that was a model Mm -hmm. of stability. So Ruth, can we, can we just pause and say, can you define what you mean by what is stability and, and then what are the, what's the fruit of that when you do it well?
0: Yes. Um, The heart of the matter when it comes to stability is committing oneself to stay faithful to a particular set of relationships, to a particular relationship or a particular set of relationships. And I think it is one aspect of discipleship, right? I mean, you look at the life of Jesus with his disciples and... They hung together for all that time, even when things got hard and difficult. They stayed together through the end, right? And it was in the stability that the most growth and transformation took place. Now, I'm not talking about abusive situations, and I want to be very careful about that. Some marriages are abusive, and they can't be stable when they're abusive. Um, Some um, church environments have been abusive in different ways, and you can't stay within that. It's not good for the soul, and it's not good for anyone. So I'm not talking about staying committed to relationships that are abusive. Um, But I do think that this ability to stay faithful and committed to a particular set of relationships is an aspect of true discipleship that creates space for Jesus to work in transforming ways. So, for instance, anybody who's married knows that the commitment to stay in the marriage, even through the difficult times, has transformed us. And most of us are glad that we've done that. We look back at the times when we might have been tempted to leave and we say, man, I'm glad I didn't because God transformed me. We're better. I'm so glad that we didn't throw that over just because we were upset about this or that, you know, like. There's such a goodness in life when one stays faithful. Uh, Think about a best friend. I have a, a best friend that I've had since college. You've talked about a friend that you've had for a long, long time. The richness of that relationship has to do with its longevity. The kinds of things you can talk about, the places you can go in conversation. That is a result of longevity and stability. So I, I'm asking us to consider that. So the fruit of it, Brian Taylor, is an Episcopal priest, in his book, Everyday Spirituality, which I highly recommend, he says that our transformation is going to take place in the community that God gives us, that stability just makes that assumption, that my transformation is going to happen here And not there, because this is the community that God's given me, and it's the community that God has um, called me to be a part of. So he says, the grass is not greener over there. One must work out one's problems with this person, because if one doesn't, one will have to work it out with that person. You know, like I take myself everywhere (laughs) I go. So if I leave this set of relationships because something feels hard, I'm just going to have to deal with myself and my stuff over there in that set of relationships. Um, This is precisely what is so freeing about the vow of stability. And now he's going back to the Benedictine vow of stability. To have to work it out is to demand growth, as painful as it is, and that is freeing. Faithfulness is a limit that forces us to stop running and encounter God, self, and other right here, right now. The grass is not always greener over there. And it is to my transform my transformation that I stay here and let God do God's work here in this set of relationships, rather than running to another set of relationships and believing that it's going to be any better over there.
1: It occurs to me that the, some of the material we covered in previous episodes, like naming your disappointments, um, you know, oh, we we had hoped it would be this way, could be a powerful part of staying, mm-hmm. right? Because when you can name. Because of course you're gonna have major disappointments, mm-hmm. major conflicts, yeah. times where you want to leave, um, and but if if along the way you're allowed to name mm-hmm. those things, if we help each other name what's disappointing, it seems like that could that that will enable us to stay more.
0: Right. And once we get through those times, that's the other thing is that you have this history of having worked things out. Yes. So you have the history of having had the experience. You have the strength of the relationship that is now stronger because... You worked it out and know that the relationship can tolerate those sorts of things. You also have whatever learnings you gleaned and gained from that experience that now become a part of who you are alone and together. And you can refer back to that, and it's, it's a stabilizing force then to know that there are certain learnings that we've grasped together and that we believe together because we experienced them and we know how important they are. And history that comes through stability gives us that.
1: So we've named what stability is. We've named what it brings mm-hmm. in us and our communities. How do we honestly practically help to cultivate mm-hmm. stability in our communities?
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a great question. I think one way we can cultivate it is to make these kinds of commitments clear at the beginning. You know, so in the transforming community, when people come into a community experience, we have a covenant with each other. and this is built right in there that we've at we ask that people commit that they will stay faithful to the two-year journey while we're in that journey and that if there is any reason why they think they need to consider stepping out of the experience that they discern it with us see so that's the stability right there not that you can't ever leave even if you know there's really good reasons for it it's the commitment to um, not only seek to finish out my like my intention is to finish and to stay with this community all the way and through the end. If for any reason something new happens in my life that makes me question whether I can continue, I'm committed to discerning it with you rather than just telling you what I'm doing. And that contributes to a sense of stability. I think that's the way we get at this um, in in more of a both-and way, that we're committing ourselves, intending to be stable. If for any reason we feel like we need to make a different move, then we're at least going to discern it together, which makes the relationships feel more trustworthy well it not just makes them feel more trustworthy they are more trustworthy right
1: mhm right this is scary mhm can we just say yeah. that mm-hmm. this is yes. this feels scary yeah. now ironically actually when we live this out it's it's safe mm-hmm. i mean it's much safer
0: absolutely because yeah because we
1: don't have to just trust our own instincts yeah. and our own decision making in in isolation why does it feel so scary
0: oh I just, I think it challenges us because it means we have to stay and work through our stuff. It means that I'm not going to allow myself to just run the other way when things get really difficult, which means I might have to face my own stuff too, not just your stuff, but my stuff. I think many, many people haven't experienced stability in their family lives or in their church lives. And so they don't even know what that looks like. Um, and it's a kind of intimacy too. Like I'm, it's an intimate thing to say, I'm going to stay with you until the end. And if I start to question whether I can, I'm going to work it out with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring it up and we're going to talk about it. A lot of people have never experienced fruitful conflict in their life. So conflict feels like the scariest thing they could ever contemplate. And so the idea that this might bring us to places where we have to really work through conflict also becomes, um, you know, a little bit unnerving.
1: So we've, gosh, we've talked a lot about just being in a community. Can we ask, can, can can we talk about when a leader feels like they mm-hmm. want to leave, need to leave? Um, how how what processes mm-hmm. should they go through, yeah. or can they go through?
0: I think a lot of the same principles apply. Yeah. That first of all, when they've taken. I mean, I don't know when someone comes. I'm sure that different church polities have different things that they do when someone comes to serve a church as a pastor. But in ordination vows, we take vows. Um, When we answer a call and say, yes, I'm coming, I'm sure there's some sort of commitment that we make to be in that place. Um, and then the commitment to discern it together if we start to discern something different. And, of course, that's radical and risky. And, in fact, let's just be honest right away that in many church polities that's not even possible. Like mm-hmm. So in the Presbyterian denomination, um, you don't tell anyone in your congregation. You tell the Presbytery what you're thinking of, and then they put your your profile out there. And in a very confidential way, churches can approach you. Um, So in some ways, actual denominational processes set themselves against what we're talking about here, and I I have respect for that. But I do also think that there's something calling us further sometimes, that if a pastor had cultivated the group, the elders, the staff, as a community for discernment, and that's a big if right there, that you've been cultivating the groups that you're a part of to be communities for discernment, then you should be prepared to be able to bring this for discernment also and at the very beginning of the process to say, you know I'm, I'm sensing God calling me somewhere else or I'm sensing that there's something else for me that God has for me and rather than just Going through the process by myself and announcing my decision at the end. I want to honor our commitment to community I want to honor our commitment to discerning God's will together and I want to um, invite you into this process with me yeah. now I have known pastors who have done this for the first time ever. It's the first time ever that a church elder board or a vestry or whatever has been invited into that process and they are amazed that anyone would do it. And yet you can imagine that the outcome, if these are mature people who have been trained and practiced in discernment, the outcome is that there's a great deal of unity um, when they come to the end of that process and whatever the conclusion is, there's unity around it rather than, be, than shock and sorrow and um, a sense of betrayal and all of that. Yeah.
1: It occurs to me that when we don't have the courage to do this, it's probably either because we have not cultivated the mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. or we somehow don't trust these We don't these trust people, it. Yeah.
0: We somehow don't trust the people or it.
1: Or the process. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. S- because if I open up this decision to more than just mm-hmm. me, I might have to listen to everyone else exactly. telling me that you shouldn't go. Yes,
0: exactly, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I might, I might have to dig a little deeper. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, if there's anything in this that mm. needs to be revealed, that it will be revealed. Like if there's an ego in this yeah. or if there's an unwillingness to deal with unresolved tensions that I've experienced here or um, if I have to talk about my call and, and how uncertain I feel about my call right now. Um those are the conversations we might be wishing we could avoid. Gosh.
1: See, this is really interesting because I think now if if we're not cultivating a life of mm-hmm. transformation yeah. in Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: That results in discernment. Yep. The, the, an increasing capacity to discern and do the will of God.
1: um, Then any, any of these decisions are terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean right. cuz now we're just going to lay our like it's like jumping into the deep mm-hmm. end. Yeah. We we have to we have to we have to remember that we have to cultivate yeah. this life in Christ individually and together. Mm-hmm. You know and it's interesting too. I mean this sounds weird to say, but um, I just had an email interaction with one of the people that I work with at our church, and we really have cultivated mm-hmm. a, a, a discerning. Yeah, um, actually, we discern a lot of things mm-hmm. together. Almost every decision yeah. we make, and so there's this tiny little thing, like mm-hmm. there's this little area of our ministry that I that she asked me, like, well, this is this is your area to mm-hmm. lead, right? and i i emailed back and said yeah but i don't want to lead it anymore <laughs> you know um, and it really is it's just <laughs> yeah. a small thing yeah. it's it's really pretty mm-hmm. inconsequential yeah. it really the doesn't bread matter or something that. like yeah, that i mean it's it's actually <laughs> pretty small but her hers and i go i go so i don't i i, I don't know what to do so mm-hmm. i named that i didn't yeah. i really didn't want to lead this area anymore she emailed back and said well i don't really know what we should do either maybe we should get the staff together mm-hmm. and, and discern this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my my yeah. first thought was, no, that's so dumb. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a tiny yeah. little thing. But th- because that's just how mm-hmm. we work now, right. um, I was sort of delighted yeah. that that was her response. Yeah. You know, that, well, yeah, of course, yeah. you know, um, of course we should maybe yeah. at least try mm-hmm. to do this together. Right. And what's fascinating is that behind that was this idea that Certainly, we will find a better solution Mm -hmm. when we gather all six of us than you would alone, or than you and I would together. Right, right. And it's not always, you know,
0: perfect the way the 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 outcomes of everything. Like I'm thinking of the time in the Book of Acts when the Apostle Paul really wants to go to Jerusalem, and his and his um, the 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 apostles with him are really afraid for him to go because they're afraid he's going to be killed, and. Paul has really strong feelings about going. They have really strong feelings about him staying. This is in the category of a personal de- a personal decision that affects others that typically we could think in our Western culture, well, I can make that by myself and I have the right to make that by myself. Um, they open it up for discernment. Paul's very emotional about it. Um, in the end, those around him were not completely comfortable with it, but because he felt so passionate, they decided that that's the way you know, they were going to just free him to do that. So, you know, there are, there are lots of options for outcomes, but I think the fact that we discerned it, to, that we even attempted to discern it together is God-honoring, and it's also honoring to this reality that we call community.
1: Okay, so Ruth, um, in this story, we we read this phrase that you said was so lovely, were not our hearts burning within us during our time? Talk about how that is just the essential part of transforming community.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting to notice that really the physical journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus was nothing compared to the spiritual journey of their eyes were kept from recognizing him to now their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That is a wonderful description of discernment, you know, that we can't see it and we can't see it. Yeah. So discernment is about having our eyes open to the presence, to the activity of Christ so that we can join Christ in it. And in this story, we see that there were obstacles to discernment. I mean, think about it. Their grief was an obstacle. Um, there are all sorts of obstacles. They had become so disillusioned about what had happened that I don't think they even even thought about seeing Jesus. They didn't think they would ever see him again. Um, they were so focused on the details of what they had been through that they couldn't see the bigger picture. All sorts of obstacles to this kind of seeing. But I think what we see in this story, at least what I see, is that transforming community is characterized by this desire to stay awake and, and alert to the presence of Christ, and to have actual practices that help us to stay awake and alert to the presence of Christ. And then the community becomes a place where we can say, oh, was were not our hearts yes. burning within us? Like, So we're describing something that happened to us this past week, and we say, but there was this moment when it seemed like Christ was, was there with me. There was guidance that I received that seemed to come from way outside myself, uh, there was I was protected from being harmed in a particular way. And now as I look back on it, I think it might have been Jesus there protecting me. Or there was this moment when typically I would have been selfish or self-protective and God enabled me or I, I felt like I felt enabled to be open and, and non-defensive and non-self-protective. And the group becomes the place that says, We believe that was Jesus too. Yeah. We recognize that as Jesus on your road between the now and the not yet. Well, it takes a group that is specifically focused on that and prepared to pay attention at those levels to be able to receive that kind of sharing and to be able to note with us the presence of Jesus and also to notice the invitations of Jesus and what may be next coming out of that encounter. And to me, that is the heart of spiritual community. It's the heart of transforming community is the recognition, the moment of recognition that that was Jesus on your road. That was Jesus on my road. um, And what are you going to do in response to that? And that's so very exciting. And so that's what we see. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Everything they had been through now shimmered, shimmered, you know, with this sort of sacred sense that that jesus had been with them and now they've got a message too and so they they get as as soon as they recognize him jesus disappears which is interesting um in and of itself um that you know the journey is now taking place at jesus initiative so he was with them as long as he was with them and then you know he he's gone from their sight uh but not from not not from their reality yeah um but now they have a new message burning within them that they can't wait to share and so they They are up and ready to become proclaimers of what it is that they've experienced. So I think that when we gather together in transforming community, we're gathering together for this purpose. We're gathering together to help each other recognize the presence of Christ on our road. And we're asking questions of one another that help us to remove the obstacles to seeing so that we can actually see where Jesus is present and how we can respond.
1: Our little church has been looking for a permanent building and we've had two uh, opportunities fall through, both of which we've discerned, um, but both of which we discerned, let's go there. And then they've, mm-hmm. they've fallen through. And so someone kind of threw up their hands and said, gosh, we're just all that for yeah. nothing, you know, all that work for nothing. Mm-hmm. And then someone else said, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. Look at how much more unified we are. Yes. Look at how. And, and 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 then she said, um, you know what if what if that's God protecting us from mm-hmm. going somewhere we shouldn't go? Because yeah. we wanted to go somewhere that, that yeah. maybe wasn't. And so it was completely reframed. And yes. so even when group discernment mm-hmm. results in what seems like confusion right or not where you thought it might go, that that reality of the presence of Christ mm-hmm. leading right is what makes our heart burn within us yeah. and is what gives us hope. That this, this is, of course, we'll just keep doing this.
0: Right. Well, and when that particular, if you've asked for guidance and prayed for guidance and enter into discernment, then you have to assume that if it fell through, that was God's guidance and that you have been guided and thank God for that. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 So, oh, so good. So I love this little tradition that we have, that has emerged of ending with a prayer. Mm-hmm. So do you have a prayer that you can I do? I do.
0: I wanna offer a prayer that we pray here in the Transforming Center mm-hmm. all the time. Um, we pray it every time uh, we gather together for prayer at midday, and we pray it um, in the transforming communities as well. And it's, it is a prayer for discernment and shared wisdom. Oh God, by whom we are guided in judgment and who raises up for us light in the darkness, Grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us to do, that your spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, and in your straight path we may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there, and we're grateful that you've spent the last 30 minutes with us. Thanks, Steve, for such great questions and for taking that step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a leader who would like to connect your soul with your leadership, please do consider this an invitation to learn more about the transforming community, a two year experience of spiritual formation for leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it is animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. If you'd like to learn more, do visit us at transformingcenter.org.